Come on in and have a seat. Happy Mother's Day. It, yes. It is very special that you are here with us. Thank you for celebrating it this morning, right here. Grab your coffee or your tea and a seat and enjoy some wonderful video announcements. Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Mother's Day. We are so glad you're with us on this wonderful day. If you are visiting in person, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag and learn more about Free Life Church. A member from our Connection team will be there to answer any questions you have. We look forward to meeting you. Discover who we are, what we believe, and how to get connected and equipped. Whether you are simply looking to get to know us or ready to become a member, this one-day course is where you'll begin. We hope you can join us on Saturday, May 15th from 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. We look forward to getting to know you. On May 16th, we will be hosting child dedications. It is our heart to pray over and bless the children that the Lord has placed in our church family. If you have an infant or small child and would like to dedicate them to the Lord, please register online on the events page. Please consider sponsoring a child for VBS this summer. We have several children in the Leesburg community who would benefit from a scholarship to attend VBS at Free Life Church. Your contribution of $25 provides one child the opportunity to enjoy a great week of learning about Jesus in an environment of fun and friendship. You can donate in person, online through our website, or through the Pushpay app. Baptisms are coming up. If you would like to be baptized in water, please sign up online for our next baptisms happening on June 6th at 2 p.m. after church at the home of Kevin and Katie Poole here in Leesburg. Remember, for more information about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for tuning in. We have some special things to get to today, so we're going to jump right into it. But first, mothers, you did pass a table on your way in, in a foyer, that has a bunch of Mother's Day things. You might have seen the phrase, please take one. We will be disappointed if anything is left on that table. Please don't pass it and think, oh, I'm not going to take it because then there won't be enough for somebody else. Don't worry about that. We have plenty for everyone. Please grab one. Please be selfish. Grab one for someone who's not here. We want that empty by the time we're gone. Now let's stand and I'll pray as we get into worship. Lord Jesus, we welcome you and we exalt you. Thank you for the mothers in our midst and the mothers-to-be. You honor them. We honor them with you. Lord Jesus, we honor your sacrifice, your humility, your obedience, and your love that is so good that it seems too good to be true. And that's the only way things can work for us. We lay our agenda and our thoughts before you. Come show us yours. In your perfect name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Would you turn to someone and greet them? If you're sitting next to a mother, say happy Mother's Day. Say hi. Be friendly. Meet somebody new. Step out. 
welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you in this place, in our hearts and our lives. Come move over us this morning. Let's rest upon our hearts.
Worthy 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus, your name is above every name. Above the name of cancer, corona, debt, poverty, doubt, everything that has a name, your name is above it all. And Jesus, you earned it through humility and sacrifice so that we can be free. How great is this love that you have bestowed on us that we can be called children bless your name. Can we just bless him? Lord, we bless you. We love you. We thank you that we are free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, welcome all. Isn't that an amazing scripture when you see it from that point? I find it amazing. And uh, it struck me a couple years ago that we are free, but here, and it just gave me such gratefulness in my heart. Dad, can you come? My dad's going to be preaching uh, the next 17 weeks. No. <laughs> next two weeks, got something on his heart for us, and so, Dad, I'm just going to hand over to you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. I'm sorry I missed last night, but um, I heard you had a good time last night, and both Michelle and I were sorry we missed it. It was wonderful, eh? God is good, is he not? I need to find my moats somewhere. What I'd like to do before I start is just honor my wife on Mother's Day. I really do. Probably 14, 15 times she uprooted her home with our children and moved. All for the sake of God's call in our lives. And she willingly did it. And you know what its mission it is to move. 14, 15 times. And so, and she never complained. Maybe once. No, she didn't complain. <laughs> never complained. And she just did it with incredible heart and vigor. And so I want to thank you. I really do. And uh, even last night, oh dear, <clears throat> even last night as we were praying for today, just the way she ministered to me was a delight. really was. So thank you. We're a team. I get to stand here. She sits there, but we're a team. I need you to know that. Yeah. And you're a team with your wife. Amen. So people see me, they don't necessarily see her, but I always want to say we're a team. God is good, eh? And I'm about to tell you something, it's not because of me, I need to, I just want to bring a truth across. I found out this morning, five minutes before we walked out the door, that my brother back in South Africa died, died of cancer. He is my uh, stepbrother. Unfortunately, we were not a very close family 
were a very dysfunctional family in actual fact. And um, the more I think back on it, I think how grateful I am that God revealed himself to me. And unfortunately, I don't know if that ever happened to Dougie. I trust it did. That was the first thing I said, Lord, I trust you revealed yourself to him. But why I'm telling you is because um, he had a son and things were very dysfunctional. And uh, him and his son didn't get on. And in actual fact, um, when my stepbrother got divorced, the son went and lived with the mom and they moved to another country. And uh, he just didn't want anything to do with his dad. And as I was telling, telling Michelle about this this morning, first thing she said, it's amazing, and the cycle continues. The cycle continues, because he didn't get on, Dougie didn't get on with his dad, his biological father. And the devil just caused the cycle to continue. My encouragement to you people, don't allow the cycle to continue. Do all you can in your power to put right. Please, I encourage you. Because just the enemy gets the glory in a sense, because the cycle just continues. Now this poor young man, wherever he lives, is going to live with a lot of guilt and shame. And the cycle continues. And I praise God that he rescued me. And he stopped that cycling continuing. And if you're a first generation Christian, you must know the cycle stopped with you. It stopped with you. It really did. It really did. It stopped. The cycle ended. It's finished. It is done for your generations to come. We are very blessed and very fortunate that our whole family now walks with the Lord, plus our cousins. And we one day sat down and tried to work it out from the time that God revealed himself to myself and Michelle. I think we've had 32 family members get saved as a result. Because the cycle changes. The cycle changes for generations to come. Even though we might go through ups and downs, the cycle changes to the glory of God. Amen. The devil has lost. Hallelujah. Anyway, I have um, two weeks to preach a message. And so you get me this week and next week. So um, if you come back next week, thank you. If you don't, thank you. Um, <laughs> Jesus, I'm secure on it. And it's a privilege to be able to do that. And just in praying, we just felt that God wants to give some keys to people. And those keys unlock things. And I, we felt as we were praying that God wanted to unlock some soul wounds and some ways of thinking through what we're going to share. And it's just his goodness that he wants to do that. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Jesus said this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll stop there. So the word tells us that heaven is a place. But what makes that place heavenly is the presence of the king of that place, the lord of that place, Jesus Christ. 
So God's gracious purpose is not just to get us a free ticket to that place, as great as that is, but his purpose is to bring the atmosphere, the government, the values, the culture, and the blessing of that place to your heart and my heart by bringing the person who will make the place heavenly to your heart and my heart. That is the purpose. It's not just so we have a ticket to go to heaven. And so for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, at first has to come in you and through us. So the release of the kingdom and our experience of the kingdom are clearly connected to our participation and our partnering with God, the very fact that we're told to pray, let your kingdom come, and the very fact we're told to pray, seek the kingdom, means that kingdom activity is not automatic, but requires our participation. It's not automatic. Allowing God to create and cultivate a kingdom culture in us and through us, and not align the culture that we live in to hinder that. Why? Because when people look at his people, they want to say, I want what you have. That's the whole heart of God. I want what you have. And so when God rescues us, he begins to do a change within us so the worldly culture begins to lose its grip on us. And the church culture, there's a culture in church that is not necessarily Christian, needs to lose its grip on us. The American culture needs to lose its grip on us. The South African culture needs to lose its grip on us. The Brazilian culture needs to lose its grip on us. The Mexican culture, whatever culture it is, not necessarily that they're bad, but kingdom culture triumphs all. And the kingdom culture is different to all those cultures. And so God is ever at work in us, align that culture, the kingdom culture, to take root in us and to be expressed through us. I call it the family traits, the family DNA, the family traits. Amen. And so even in Mark 3, and I don't think I gave them the scripture back, Jesus, the Bible says this in Mark 3, 13 to 15, that he called those that he wanted to him so they would be with him, and then he sent them. And that's always the process. He calls us to him so we can be with him, so change can take place, so he can send us to preach the kingdom. Amen. Acts 1, 8. You'll receive the Holy Spirit and power will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Not you will witness for me. You just, by the way you live, you'll be a witness for me. You don't have to do anything. Just be. That's the whole of X18. Just be, because the Holy Spirit will do it in and through you. And so, I believe for this to continue to work in us and through us, we need some credible understanding, insight, and revelation on the four calls of God that he puts on our life. And that's what I want to talk on, the four calls of God. We're going to do two this Sunday and two next Sunday. 
And the way this, I brought these with me, hallelujah, this time, all right. The way this, this actual uh, understanding came to me, I'll never forget it, was in, in May of 1996, like a million years ago, but anyway. I was pacing up and down in a particular room because it was a Friday morning, I'll never forget it, and I had to preach on Sunday, and preachers all know Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming. And your week is gone, and now it's Friday, and you've got nothing, and Sunday's coming, and Sunday's coming, and the pressure's coming, and the pressure's coming, and Sunday's coming, and those who preach a bit, you'll know exactly what I mean. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about, where that pressure comes, and there's nothing you can do to escape it. Just because you want to do well. So many people are involved in what we do here this morning. So many people have laid things down. So many people came early. So many people did things. So you just want to play your part. Amen. And so I was pacing up and down. I'm saying, God, I've got nothing. I need something. I need something. It must have been a couple of hours I paced up and down. And eventually I was all tired of standing. So I sat down and I had a pencil and a piece of paper in my hand. And as I sat down, I felt God say, I've called you to salvation. I've called you to sonship. I've called you to service. And I've called you to sacrifice. And that framework over the years... God begins to unfold, and he's still unfolding it. Truth is, how do I put this? Truth is ever being revealed. I don't think we'll know all truth this side of eternity. Truth is ever unfolding and revealed and conforming us to the image of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that's how it happened. That's how it came. And so it's interesting that it came in that year. It was May of 1986, and we... 1996, sorry, 86. Sorry, that's when I got saved. 96. And with that year was when the Pensacola revival broke out on Father's Day in 1996. It was that year that Toronto Blessing broke out. And I was chatting to a couple of people this week, and I feel those two are significant things in what God is still wanting to do today. One was at one end of the continent, and the other one was at the other end of the continent. It's very interesting. And they, it was the same Holy Spirit. God understand it. The same God, but expressing different things and different truths in different areas. And we had the privilege, Michelle and I, to go to Pensacola. We were still living in South Africa a number of times. We made the journey. And the holiness and the reverence of God in that place, as you walked in, struck you absolutely struck you. And it's something God's going to begin to do afresh and anew. And we never had the, the fortunate blessing of going up to Toronto. But we've heard all that came out of that. And that was the Father blessing his children. It really was. It was the Father heart of God saying, let me refresh my children. And those two trees need to be held in tension. He's our Father but he's our God, and he needs reverence and all. Amen. don't know why I'm saying that, but anyway. So it's important. I think it comes up. We're called to salvation. Romans 1, we'll read the scripture later. And when we call to salvation, that's just, yeah, hallelujah, I got saved. It's like me and the Lord, me and the Lord. Who knows what I'm speaking about? Then he calls us to sonship or daughter or family or whatever. Then it's about us, because now I'm involved in a family. Then he calls us to service. 
and it's about others. And then he calls us to sacrifice, and it's about him. And that's the high calling to sacrifice and lay down our lives to the glory of God the Father. And it's important that he calls us, he draws us. It's nothing we can earn, as Clayton said, or we can make happen. He draws us, he calls us to this. And it's not he calls us to salvation and gets it all complete and calls us to sonship. No, it's like he calls us and this truth gets put in our hearts as it gets unfolded, as he's unfolding this truth and this truth and this truth at the same time. Do you understand what I'm saying? But this is getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And he calls. He calls. You've got to understand he calls. That word he calls, he stirs, he draws. Something arises within us. But Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Jesus said, unless the Father stirs you, draws you, you cannot come to me. So it's a work of God. It's a work by the Holy Spirit. And he draws us and calls us to understand what it means to serve. And he calls us and draws us what we understand what it means to sacrifice. It's a high privilege to be able to sacrifice for the Lord. It really is. And it is all by the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of man. It's all by the Holy Spirit. And he will do it. So let's do the first one, call to salvation. And we chatted a lot about this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Romans 1, 6 and 7 says this. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. It is a great salvation. It is such a great salvation, people. Oh, it is a great salvation. Hebrews 2 tells us it is a great, great salvation. He has freed us from sin and the power of sin. That inherent power in sin that causes us to want. He's freed us from that. He's freed us. He's freed us from the dominion of darkness. Freed us. He's freed us from our blindness. We were not able to see certain things and understand certain things. It's like the blinkers came off. I'll never forget the day I got saved. Never forget it because it was so profound for me. After my emotions calmed down, you've heard me share this. At the age of 33, after I got my emotions back together, after my nose had run for so many, so many hours and caused puddles, whatever, and I looked at Michelle and I said, you know, Michelle, you look the same, but you look different. It's like blinkers came off me. I looked outside and said, everything looks the same, but it's different. It's just different. There's sharpness, there's clearness, there's color. I had no understanding of what had happened, none whatsoever. God began to unfold that in the years to come and still is busy doing that. He's freed us. Blindness went. He freed me from an emptile, futile life. It was empty. I was doing things, but there was no depth to it. I loved my wife. I loved my kids. And you don't understand that until he reveals that to you. The depth and the treasure in Jesus Christ. He took me from death to life because I was dead in my sins and transgressions. And he brought me into a new life. He brought me into freedom. He brought me into an inheritance. He brought me into destiny. He brought me into citizenship. He brought me into a family. That's what salvation does. It is a great, great, 
great salvation. It's when God comes and breathes who he is into you and me. So he does it. He comes and literally breathes himself into you and me. And Jesus takes up residence inside. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 1. Can we go there? I think that scripture is going to come up on the back. I can't remember what scriptures I gave these people at the back. But I know they are sharp and good at it. So. Colossians 1. I love this scripture. It's one of my favorites. Verse 12. It says this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Folk, read that. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Who qualified you? The Father. To share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us. Rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Rescued us from his dominion. And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption. It's a violent transaction that took place in the spirit. It's a violent transaction. You've got to understand that. He said, come, I put my hand on you. I'm rescuing you from darkness. I'm rescuing you from the clutches of the devil. He is mine, he's saying to the devil. He is mine. Amen. It is. It's a great salvation. It truly is a great salvation. But we won't say any more on that because I want to focus on this one. He's called us to sonship. Or another word for that is sanctification. But I like the word sonship because it's about family. 1 John 3, 1. Clayton actually quoted the scripture. Can you believe it? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. That we should be called the children of God. And understanding through revelation, can only come through revelation, and understanding of this and learning to live from this place is so vital. So when God calls us to serve and to sacrifice, the heart from which we do it is secure. And it's not doing it to earn, to achieve, or out of fear, or to get noticed. Because I'm a son. And only revelation can do that because we all want significance to some degree. Let's read John 13 if we can. John 13, chapter 1. I mean, John 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simeon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Because he was so secure in who he was in the Father. Think about this, people. I want you to think about this. God, in the form of Jesus, came and knelt at your feet. He humbled himself, the passage. Not only did that, but he came and bowed before you at your feet and washed them. God. That humbles me. That God would come and kneel before me and wash my feet. But he was so secure, that's why he did it. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. His identity was totally wrapped up in his father. So he could, because the father gives us destiny. The father gives us purpose. The father gives us authority. Identity comes from the father, not from what we do or what we have. No books, no self-help course will ever truly be able to give you dentony. Nothing. Only the Father in heaven. That's where I try to. So when the storms of life come, and they will, we will truly know that I'm a son, and the Father will help me and enable me to walk through this with ever-increasing maturity, because that's what he's after, his mature sons. I want to read a little bit out of this book, so don't lose me. This book has been on my shelf probably for eight years. I've never read it. And on Thursday, I was walking out my office, and I knew what I wanted to do over the next two weeks. And for some reason, this book caught my eye. You know how a book catches your eye. So I grabbed it and put it in my bag and went home. And Friday, I was at home, busy starting to prepare this message. And so I started to just glance through this book yesterday because I didn't have time to read the whole thing or whatever. And it's amazing how God used this book to reveal a truth to me that I didn't quite understand, even until yesterday. And this is it. Paul loved to speak of God as an adopting father, not only because he knew that all Christian believers, believers have been adopted, but also because he knew very well that Israel as a whole had experienced this privilege. Out of all the nations of the world, God had chosen one nation, Israel, to be his adopted, precious, special son. He chose one of the most insignificant groups of people and in the process made them the most significant nation in history. He took a very ordinary community of people, conferred on them the most extraordinary purpose. Why? Because our God is an adopting father. Out of sheer grace, he chose to embrace people in his unfolding circle of love. Thus, 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, God took hold of a man called Abram and made this promise to him. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you, and I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All those centuries ago, God called two people, Abram and Sarah, to be the parents of a new nation. 
Subsequently, they had a son, Isaac, and he in turn had a son called Jacob. And Jacob's youngest son, Joseph, was sold into slavery and was taken into Canaan, from Canaan to Egypt. It was in Egypt over the next 430 years that God made the descendants of Abram into a great nation. After Joseph died, the Israelites multiplied so much that the land of Egypt was filled with them. A new pharaoh who had not known Joseph came to power and became alarmed at the number of Israelites in his kingdom. The Egyptians therefore turned them into slaves and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter and hard labor. However, the Lord raised up a man called Moses, born of Levite parents, but adopted as a baby. Having been placed in a papyrus basket and left on the waters of the Nile, Moses was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him into her family. The narrator of the book of Exodus tells us he became her son, and he quotes the scripture. When Moses grew up, he pleaded with Pharaoh to let the Israelites leave. God sent ten plagues upon the Egyptians before the Israelites were permitted to leave. When permission was eventually granted, the exodus occurred, and the Israelites began their journey to Canaan, the promised land. The nation of Israel was really formed at the exodus. It was only when the Israelites came out from under the oppression of the Egyptians that they became a separate people. It is only when they were given the commandments at Mount Sinai that they received the divine instructions that would enable them to develop their own distinctive identity as a nation. From this point onwards, the people of Israel enjoyed a special status as God's adopted son. In the great act of love, the father adopted the people of Israel into a relationship with himself. Throughout the Old Testament, there are a number of references to the adoptive sonship that God conferred upon Israel. Perhaps the most moving of all references in Hosea 11, when God reminds the prophet of his love for Israel. And this is a scripture. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. In Egypt, the Israelites were driven by whips. In the Exodus, they were drawn by cords of love. When they left Egypt, the father's plan and promise of adoption was actualized in the experience. At the Exodus, God used an adoptive child, Moses, to lead the people into the reality of their promised adoption. Indeed, the Lord instructed Moses to say to Pharaoh, and he quotes the scripture, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so that he may worship me. Exodus 4. The exodus from Egypt was therefore a journey from slavery to sonship. God redeemed Israel from slavery, and in the process, the Israelites came out from under the authority of Pharaoh and came under God's authority. God's authority of Israel was established at Sinai when the Torah was given to Moses. Yet God revealed his fatherly love by giving Israel instructions on how to live. And God said in Deuteronomy 8, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. 
Everything God will do in your life and my life is redemptive. Everything is redemptive. Because that's his nature. From the moment on, Israel became the heir of what the father had promised Abram. A few more, few more uh, paragraphs. Through adoption, Israel became the privileged recipient of the farmer's estate. Having received such a privilege, you would think that Israel would live in a state of constant appreciation. Unfortunately, that is not the case. On the one hand, it is true that God chose the people of Israel and loved them as a father. And on the other hand, the Israel did not always choose to live in obedience to God and frequently rebelled against him. The beautiful passage from Isaiah 11 that I've already quoted portrays this awful tragedy in the words later on. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, but the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the bowls and they burnt incense to the images. But God had adopted Israel as a son. Israel rejected them and rebelled. Instead of worshiping their heavenly father, the Israelites turned to foreign idols. In the process, they pierced the father's heart with undeserved rejection. What was the consequence of Israel's rebellion? The principal result was Israel experienced the exact opposite of the exodus. At the exodus, they were led out of slavery into sonship. When Israel rebelled, they were led from sonship back into slavery. Thus, at the Exodus, Israel was led from the experience of slavery into the experience of sonship. And at the ex exile, Israel was led from the experience of sonship back into slavery. Though the father never stopped loving them, Israel as his adopted son, the exiled people of Israel lost the privilege of sonship. They didn't lose the sonship. They lost the privilege of sonship. That's what they lost. And then we know that they came back through the exile, through Zerubbabel, I can't pronounce his name, and Ezra and Nehemiah. But again, over years, they turned their back on him. And therefore, God sent his one and only son to achieve what Israel had not achieved. So the father sent his son. Now I want you to turn to John chapter 20. That gives you a context that was always in the heart of God to have sons and daughters. Now Jesus has come, started on the cross. John 20, go to verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent down to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there. Jesus' body had been where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked a woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? This is Jesus speaking to her. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbana, which means teacher. Isn't that amazing? She recognized his voice before she even recognized him. 
And then this is the verse. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers, that was his disciples, and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I'm returning to my Father and your Father. And they had no idea what was that meant. But a couple of verses later, Jesus appears and breathes on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And that's when they were born again. See, folk, when we get born again, there's a cry that develops in our heart. And you know this. Romans 8. We don't have time. We're running out of time. Romans 8. You can go read it at home. The Bible says, the Spirit in us but cries, Abba, Father. doesn't cry anything else. It cries, Abba, Father. We have the Spirit of adoption in us. The Spirit of Jesus that cries, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Because he is our Father in heaven. In Galatians 4 verse 7, it says, When the fullness of time come, God sent his Son born of a woman under the law. I'm just paraphrasing it. That when we receive him, we will cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. I think the scripture's up on the back there. And saying, you belong to a house. You have the full status of, of sonship now. You have the full inheritance of son. That's what happens. We cry, Abba, Father. We're no longer a slave. We no longer must think with a slave mentality. We must no longer, please don't think with a fear or a slave mentality. You're a son. You're a daughter. You have a father in heaven who loves you. He adopted you. He paid a price for you. He redeemed you. He rescued you. He said, you're mine. Let me put my identity in you. Let me put my heart in you. Let me put my spirit in you. Let me put my DNA in you. Let me put my family trait in you. That's what he said. Don't let the devil lie. Never live from your condition. Live from your position. As a son and as a daughter. Because you're going to have some tough days. <laughs> Don't we all know it? Keep reminding yourself who you are in him. Don't read it now, but Galatians 1. I mean, look, Ephesians 1 is the glorious, glorious truth that the Father, the glorious Father gives. If you go read it, it says, This is the Father who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing, verse 3. He's chosen us before the foundation of the world, verse 4. He predestined us to be adopted as sons, verse 5. He redeemed us and forgave us, verse 6. He lavished the riches of his grace upon us, verse 8. He made known to us the mystery of his great plan for the universe, verse 9. He included us in his plan, verse 13. He marked us with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, verse 13. No wonder Paul describes God as a glorious father in Ephesians 1.17. The glorious adopted father. So what are the privileges of sonship? What privileges have you received as a son? They'll come up. You get to eat at his table 24-7. You can come to his table any day in luck. Anytime. You don't have to ask. You can just come. I've told a story before, and my kids, particularly Clayton, comes to visit me. It's, hello, Dad, hello, Mom, where's the fridge? Which is wonderful. Why? Because he's a son. Doesn't have to ask. He's a son. You're privileged to eat from his table. 
And you know what? This table's always full. Always full. It's never empty. There's never lack. Number two, you get your inheritance back. You get revelation back. You get gifts back. You get promises back. You get his word back. Number three, you're privileged with his fatherly care. Psalm 55 says, cast your cares or your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will nourish you. He will provide for you. He will uphold you, and he'll protect you. I remember back in South Africa, we had a, when we were leading the youth, we had, I think I might have told the story, we had a barbecue for all these young boys. There were about seven, seven, eight, nine, ten, and there were about ten of them there. And so I'm cooking the barbecue, and they came around and stood by me, and they're looking at it. And the one kid says, my dad doesn't do it that way. Another kid says, no, my dad doesn't do it that way either. My dad does it this way. And it was such a delight to me to hear the way they spoke about their dad. My dad will take care of it. My father will. We have the privilege of his voice, and that is a big deal. We have the privilege of his voice. We have the privilege of his fatherly discipline. And why does he discipline? So that we can walk in a harvest of righteousness. So that we can mature as sons and daughters. We have the privilege that we get a gift from the Father, and it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, because that's what the Bible says. Our Father will send you a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. Those are the privileges you get as a son. There are three recorded times in Scripture where the Father audibly spoke, audibly spoke, and not only Jesus heard it, others heard it. First time is in Luke chapter 3, and it says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Just incredible affirmation. Second time was in Luke 9, where he says, This is my son who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Third time in John 12, he said, This is my son whom I'm well pleased, whom I will glorify. Notice the progression. I'm pleased, listen, glorify. That's the progression that the father wants to take his sons and daughters. I'm pleased with you always, because I've adopted you. I've qualified you. Learn to listen and then you'll carry my glory. Amazing, that's the three things. God wants us to mature so we can, as sons and daughters, carry and display the glory of God, the kingdom of God, in an ever-increasing measure. And so when you become a son and a daughter, and I've only found this over experience over years, God will call you and then he will call you closer to himself. And then he wants to grow you up in responsibility. And God, the first thing I found, God takes, he takes you and he holds you a little more accountable for things in your life. So things you could do, yeah, even as a Christian, he says, hang on, son, you can no longer do them. Not necessarily bad things. For me, it was six or seven years with no sport. And I love sport. I'm a sport crazy person. Thank you. <laughs> My grandson's the same. When they come to visit Michael, he'll just come and sit next to me and watch sport. And he's as interested as I am. It's unbelievable. The other day we were watching Formula One. And in five minutes he knew all the drivers and what was happening. He was saying, look, this one's doing that. It was amazing. Because there's such a desire in him. 
It was just put there. I don't know why. It was just put there. It was like me. It was just a desire for sport. And God said, Ken, cut out sport. And I did for five years. Not because I'm great, because I loved him. Because even as a Christian, it can become an idol. It takes precedence. And the Lord says, nothing wrong with it. Actual fact, sport is good because it teaches you to play in team. It teaches you to lose gracefully and it teaches you to win gracefully. That's what it does. It's wonderful. So he'll take you and he'll put boundaries in you. Why? The Bible says in Psalm that he put pleasant boundaries. He put boundary lines because we have a pleasant inheritance to come. And so sometimes he'll put a harness around one person of his indifferent in another way. He'll hold you a little more accountable. He'll hold you a little closer. And God takes you and trains you to ignore the applause and the voice of the world. It takes a while. He takes you and trains you to ignore the appetites of the world. And it takes a while. Trust me. That's still taking a while. Where the applause of the world is no longer a hook in your heart. You just want the applause from heaven more than anything else. And he trains you. And he takes you and he trains you to begin to work in team. Because we are a body and we need each other. And the first team he gets you to work with is your wife. So there's no shadows between you and your wife. And he yokes you together to work together. And then he puts you in team with other people other brothers and sisters. And his son work in this team with your other brothers and sisters. And still sharpens steel and iron sharpens iron. And it's wonderful. And we begin to mature. And he trains you to hear his voice. And it's so exciting. When God speaks, things happen. Let there be light. Light. Done. When you hear your father's voice, it is a big deal. God does not waste his breath. God has given the promised land. And he's saying, go take it. Next thing he'll do, he will train you in responsibility for your actions. This is a big one. Where you'll stop blaming others for your reactions. Where you'll stop blaming your past. And you'll learn to live in ongoing forgiveness. He trains you in that. <laughs> Where you stop laying blame. Like Adam did. It's her fault. <laughs> yeah. Or your past. And this is a big process. We no longer have a victim mentality. Woe is me. Shame is me. Look at me. We have a victorious mentality. And then he will train you in patience and endurance. And that also takes a time. <laughs> and so when things don't go your way, and things don't go the way you like, he never leaves you or forsakes you, but he trains you in it. I'm going to be a little vulnerable Yeah, I preached about three or four weeks ago. As a, life as a preacher is not easy, let me just say that. But it's a privilege, incredible privilege. And when I stepped off the platform, 
inside of me, I knew I did not do a good job. And you live with that for three or four days. Because of me, because as I said, because everybody's done their part for this thing to take place. And uh, a week went by, and then I went up to Detroit, and I had to preach there, and the same thing happened. People come and thank me, and that's wonderful, but inside, you just know. You just know. And it's a process of dying to self, because it's not about me. And it's amazing how deep that is. It's not about me. It's about him. And they kept repeating that to me. It's not about me. And so it trains you in patience and endurance. And then when Clayton asked me to preach, the first thing that came up was those last two times. <coughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? Thank you. He's put up his head very high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pray for those who preach people. They're doing the best they can. And Tommy, I know he's not here. I haven't heard his sermon, but I just heard such outstanding reports to it. And that is a lifestyle that he's preaching from. Because when a preacher comes, you'll catch what he has inside his heart. And so it requires a lifestyle. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he trains you in that. That's what he does. Because he wants to grow us up into maturity. In Buckingham Palace, they take some horses and they begin to train them. And the whole reason they train these horses is to carry or to pull the queen's chariot. They have the privilege of pulling the queen in a chariot. And so they take the horses and begin to train them and to run them and to put them in teams. And then they train them not to respond to the crowd because when they go down, the crowd's going to clap and shout and whistle or whatever. And then they want to put a harness and work, teach them to work in team. And if these horses won't heed to that, they let them go back to the paddock and run free. But they never have the privilege of pulling the queen's chariot. We have the privilege of carrying the Father's glory. Heed to his training. Heed to his training. And it's always redemptive. It's never to destroy. Never, ever. God understand that because he's a gracious father. He's an adopting father. That was his heart right from the beginning. Let me have sons and daughters that will carry my DNA to a world that is full of pain and dying and deceived. One of the biggest deceptions that's happening in the world today is identity. That's why all the transgender stuff. People are just blinded. Can't point a finger at them. Because they go by I, but by the grace of God. It's a great salvation, and it's an incredible privilege to be called a son or a daughter. Next week we'll do service and sacrifice, because that even gets better and better. Father, I thank you for your sons and daughters. I pray that this truth, Lord, 
would not even today, but in days and weeks and months, begin to permeate and resonate in your people. Father, unlock the brokenness of people's souls. Unlock the wounds that they've had, even from earthly experiences, Lord. Change mindsets. Let us see the way you see us. Let us see what a delight we are in your eyes. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Let that resonate in your people, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Train us. Mature us. Let us carry what you've called us to carry to your glory and honor, Lord. What a privilege, privilege, privilege. We thank you. You've rescued and redeemed us and conferred sonship on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clayton. Thanks, Dad. You know, in 2006, my dad preached that message. He was living here, but he came back to South Africa when I was a minister, and he preached that message. And just, honestly, I said, even though I was my earthly father, it just changed my whole world. And uh, he took a week to do it, like every day, so it was really in-depth. And it just changed my whole world. And uh, I'll never forget, he said this, God desires all men to be saved. The Bible says that. So say there's a hundred people, he'll call all hundred, hey, come, come to be, come to be saved, come to be redeemed. Eighty respond. Out of those eighty, he calls all eighty. Come understand what it is to live as a son, to think as a son, to live with an inheritance as a son, to operate as a son. Come and sixty respond. Then he calls all of those sixty. Hey, come and understand what it is to serve others. 20 respond. Cause all of those 20 come and lay your life down for me. Two or three respond. His desire is for all 100. But he will never force it. But he will also never stop calling. He will call again and again and again and again. It's not like a window that we miss. Yeah? That's human mind. It is Mother's Day, so I want to say Happy Mother's Day to my mother, who I love. <laughs> I just pointed my wife. 
and her, <laughs> and to my wife, and to all those who have mothered me over the years, Marie being one of them. Just thank you to all. Sorry. We're going to have the kids come through. Just, just announce it. Get in. Have the kids come through. They're going to sing just for Mother's Day. And, um, and after this, please don't grab your children. Just legally, security-wise, we need them all to go back in there. Because we need to be supervising. Otherwise, anybody can just pick a child and leave. So please let your children go back in there afterwards. Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Mother's Day. We are so glad you're with us on this wonderful day. If you are visiting in person, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag and learn more about Free Life Church. A member from our Connection team will be there to answer any questions you have. We look forward to meeting you. Discover who we are, what we believe, and how to get connected and equipped. Whether you are simply looking to get to know us or ready to become a member, this one-day course is where you'll begin. We hope you can join us on Saturday, May 15th from 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. We look forward to getting to know you. On May 16th, we will be hosting Child Dedications. It is our heart to pray over and bless the children that the Lord has placed in our church family. If you have an infant or small child and would like to dedicate them to the Lord, please register online on the events page. Please consider sponsoring a child for VBS this summer. We have several children in the Leesburg community who would benefit from a scholarship to attend VBS at Free Life Church. Your contribution of $25 provides one child the opportunity to enjoy a great week of learning about Jesus in an environment of fun and friendship. You can donate in person, online through our website, or through the PushPay app. Baptisms are coming up. If you would like to be baptized in water, please sign up online for our next baptisms happening on June 6th at 2 p.m. after church at the home of Kevin and Katie Poole here in Leesburg. Remember, for more information about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for tuning in.